the GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Mike, today we are recording our podcast. Today is a very special day. Do you know why? Why, Neil? Well, Mike, today marks the 25th anniversary of the greatest album in the 1990s. No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom is 25 today. Oh, I thought you were going to say Mariah Carey's Glitter. No, that's a close second. I, I can't. Oh, actually, you know I what? That's talk. 2001. Never mind. Sorry. It, Sorry. Well, we'll talk about Is it the same day? October 10th? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, that's like, that's insane. If you can just pick out a date and know that that's the day the album comes out. Like, I think I can do that with these some of these GameCube games now, though. No, me too. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. But not Mariah Carey's discography. <laughs> Pretty crazy, though. I mean, I've listened to that album almost like every... I probably listen to that album once a once week. Once a week. <laughs> like, just... Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of the one of my favorite albums uh, ever, for sure. It's on, um, it's on the wall for us. It's framed. Mm. Tragic Kingdom, the vinyl, is actually... Uh, just one vinyl. It's it's not it's not pressed like there's not two vinyls in there. Even though it's a 55 minute runtime. I was going to say that's very impressive for a 55 minute album that it's all on one. It's all on one record. That's right? That's very that's very good. I would think at least two, but yeah. Cool. Usually once you go past 45 or 50, you're you're getting two right because the sound quality starts to to deteriorate. But um, I don't know for for this vinyl, it sounds sounds lovely. But I think anything, no doubt, would sound lovely in my opinion. So. Not everything from No Doubt sounds lovely. Sorry, everything <laughs> they put in that a, era. Yeah, yeah. The first, the first, what three or four albums are good up till Rocksteady, I guess. Uh, well, you don't like show. Rocksteady, but friend of the show Dan, friend of the show Dan. I'm going to bring him up in a second. I was just going to say one more thing on the mm. vinyl. I'd love it if they would re-release it and put Tragic Kingdom the single as the first track, not the last track, because that should be the that should be the opening song. Agreed, hundred yeah, percent. Okay, just to make sure we're both on the same page. But friend of the show Dan Kerr, I have to give a huge shout out to him because this week on our private discord chat he uh he shared with us a an emo mixtape kind of thing on dis- on spotify yeah and uh, i absolutely adore one band in particular by the name of jail socks <laughs> that's a great name <laughs> great name but they only have one or two albums i think they only have one full album uh it's and one full album it's 20 minutes they're they're a three-piece emo band from uh, i believe it's from charlotte north carolina and this is going up there is just one of these random emo albums that I've just randomly find. I'll probably never listen to anything else they do, but I'll listen to this. I'll, I've been listening to it on repeat all week. And nice. uh, it's similar to like Hotelier's, um, what is it called? Uh, Home Like No Place Was There, yep. Is There, something like that. Hmm. I remember finding that album in 2016 and listening to that on repeat and absolutely loving it. I think this album is going to be one of those again. So thank you so much, Dan Kerr, for the musical recommendation. I also discovered a band from that, Carly Cosgrove, which is, uh, uh, I guess, uh, a portmanteau of uh, Miranda Cosgrove, who played mm-hmm. I, I, Carly. I Carly. So yeah. Carly Cosgrove, you know. But yeah, no, they're, they're the band that sound like, or they sing about D&D, right? I think so. I don't Yeah, I, don't I listen remember. to them too. It was, it was all on the mixtape. Yeah, it's it was all on the mixtape. Check it out. We, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, check out this <laughs> random mixtape that we haven't given a name for. <laughs> But yeah, two great bands that we discovered this week, which is a good, that's a good haul. That's a good week. Good haul. Yeah. So Mike, while we're recording this, it's uh, Thanksgiving in Canada. We like to record this podcast from Ontario, Canada. Uh, what are you doing this weekend for Thanksgiving, Mike? Do, given the pandemic, there's obviously a ton of restrictions right now. We can only see like two people at a time, which is fantastic. So uh, what is Thanksgiving looking like in the Lane household right now? Well, uh, so we did a little Thanksgiving here. 
uh, and I went to my parents' house and uh, did a little Thanksgiving lunch. But I do have something to say about that because uh, today on Thanksgiving, uh, I went golfing. Uh, hmm. Big uh, big golf fan, if you don't know. And uh, I was uh, playing some golf, playing around, and I take a shot, and the shot landed near a gentleman who was on on the fairway. Okay. Uh, now this gentleman should not have been on the fairway because he shot his ball from another tee, from like a whole different hole. Oh, okay. So he's a really bad golfer. Really bad golfer. He like missed it by a mile and it landed in our fairway. And so I shot it and I, you know, I got close to him trying to scare him off kind of, you know, and of course he gets mad and gets angry at me and it's like, oh, what are you doing? Like, uh, it's like, you should know that you're not allowed to do this. I was like, well, actually you should not be on my hole. You can't hit from like from there. You need to pick the ball up and leave. He's like, no, I'm allowed to do this. Learn how to play golf. I was like, oh, really? Like, learn how to play golf? You are the one who just hit it onto a different fairway. So You should have just taken his ball and just thrown it somewhere. <laughs> like, just happy just happy Gilmore his ass. Like, right? just do something. And I was just, just, just like, oh, like, like th- those are the kind of people that make people not want to ever, like, try the sport of golf. I always think of golf as being a very relaxing thing to do. It's like, you know, you're on a nice landscaped field. There's, you know, there's ponds. There's green. Gra- yeah, it's beautiful. There's green grass. If you're in Florida, there's alligators. I don't know. It's just <laughs> like a nice... It's just a nice place to hang out. Just chill. Even if you're not playing golf. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Just thought I'd, I'd share that story, that Thanksgiving story. That's what I'm thankful for, Neil, is uh, his assholes on the golf course. Because <laughs> without them, you wouldn't have great stories to bring to the podcast. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I sent you a meme the other day, and it was like one of those things where someone's lying in bed, the brain says something, and then they can't fall asleep. And it was like, the, the goal of golf is to play less golf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought of you when I saw that. I thought it was funny. Uh, in, the, in the Gilbert household, Thanksgiving's going to be actually not... Too different. Uh, we're going to be having my sister's boyfriend's coming over, my girlfriend's coming over, and going back to Tragic Kingdom. I wore No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom t-shirt on our first date. So wow. things are going well. That's, yeah. that's how you know. Uh, it, it, uh, did she? Does she remember that? Did she Did she key into that? I think so. I think okay. I remember her explaining. She knew the, the other day we were in Walmart and, and I was wearing my cargo shorts and she said, those are the shorts you wore on our first date. And I only remember wearing the t-shirt. I, I do remember wearing pants, but I'm also, I only remember the t-shirt. I didn't remember wearing the shorts. Mind you, uh, she does have a small kind of segment to go off of uh, because you really only have like four or five outfits. Yeah, that's really true. They're all band shirts. Like I have a tiny moving parts shirt. I have a no. They're all band shirts. You're right. I, I... And like you all, it's like the you know the 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 pants or the shorts. There's only you know a couple of variations of that. So. Oh yeah, like on our third date, I was like, you may not have noticed this yet, but uh, I only have two pairs of jeans. <laughs> Just need to get that out of the way now. <laughs> Transitioning to a little bit of new game news. That new game news. The GSD top-selling games for the month of September 2020 just got revealed this last week. GSD stands for Game Sales Data. And Mike, Super Mario All-Stars, the 3D Mario collection containing Super Mario Sunshine, is the number one selling game worldwide. Why? Why? S- sorry, uh, shouldn't that say Super Mario uh, All-Stars 3D as willed into existence by the GameCube was cool. I think that I think that's the full title. I think they had to shorten it, otherwise it wouldn't have fit on the page properly. But <laughs> that's right, we did will it into existence. We are the official developers of that game, obviously. <laughs> but it's an, it's very impressive considering that this uh, this website does not count, or sorry, Nintendo don't count digital sales. So they were the top selling video game in the month of September, not counting digital. 
Yeah, that's really weird, right? Um, I, it's weird because Nintendo does count digital when they do their like um, when they do their financial report every quarter. Sure, that's because they have to they have to report that to stakeholders, to stockholders, and everything. So yeah, but it's yeah, it's weird. Every month they're just like, oh, just I guess maybe it's easier to. I don't have an answer. <laughs> I, I don't I either. Start, I started and I'm like, no, nope, right? There's easier. no reason why you shouldn't. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, it, lo- it makes it look all the more impressive when they say, yeah, we're the number one selling game of the month, not counting digital. So yeah, imagine I, what I, it would be. I'd like that. Yeah, I think it's just to have that big swinging dick around a little bit more when they can. (laughs) Or you can just be Xbox and not show your sales numbers at all. No, that's right. That's when you know that they're losing. (laughs) (laughs) But just to read the list here real quick, it's uh, just 10 games. So we have Super Mario All-Stars, Marvel's Avengers, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2, FIFA 20, NBA 2K21, Crusader Kings 3, I've never heard of that game, Grand Theft Auto 5, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Tom Clancy, Rainbow Six Siege, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and Red Dead Redemption 2. I'm surprised that FIFA 20 is is so uh, high up there considering that FIFA 21, I believe, just came out. I guess it wasn't late enough. Th- in did the... people accidentally buy FIFA 20? Oh, no doubt. That must happen every year. But like, <laughs> like I- I'm thinking like that's that's some, that's all I can think of, right? It happens like when Mario like Kart... the Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, you go. You... <laughs> yeah, when Mario Kart was it Mario Kart on Wii U came out and the Mario Kart Wii sale was like the number one selling game on Amazon that month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That was one of my favorite news things of that year. And up until now still is one of my favorite video game news uh, reports since then. <laughs> Agreed. Let's talk about some old video game news. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the GameCube Was Cool podcast. Welcome to episode 22. We are the podcast that goes live every Thursday morning. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. We are on social media platforms. Only one, Instagram, at the GameCube Pod. If you follow us, please go back to our uh, Instagram pictures. We have a photo of The Rock. We'd like it if you would go back and like that. We're trying to make that our number one liked post. Thank you so much. We are the number one podcast, GameCube podcast on the internet. Our goal is to look on the back of all 555 North American GameCube games and review those games. We are trying to become legit. Part of that means we need a Wikipedia article. So if you are a... uh, if you are a publisher, please write a Wikipedia article about us. It would be great. Thank you so much. Last week, we talked about Time Splitters and Geist. If you haven't checked out that episode, go back and check that one out. Really fun time. This week, we're going to be talking about Crystal Chronicles and some other RPGs on the Nintendo GameCube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about Final Fantasy, talking mm-hmm. about um, kind of Nintendo's relationship with the Final Fantasy series, and mm-hmm. as well as Square, obviously, which is, I think, I think, well, you know, full disclosure here, Neither Neil or I are are big RPG guys. No. Uh, we definitely didn't grow up with that. I guess the closest for me would be playing like RuneScape as a kid, <laughs> but uh, and, and Pokemon and, and Poke. Okay, yeah, Pokemon. Yeah, sure, yeah. that's a good point. Actually, you played uh, RuneScape? Yeah. yeah, I did. You nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like so. So we're definitely not these like RPG experts in any sense of the word. Uh, which is why we're bringing on two special guests, uh, Zaffer and Jake, uh, both friends friends of the show. They've been on episodes before, and they're going to be here talking about Final Fantasy, Crystal Chronicles, and only that because the other RPGs they have not played. Uh, but uh, I'm really excited to get some of their insight into uh, this game. Yeah, me too. We have six RPG titles on the GameCube, and uh, that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be we'll have another RPG episode eventually. Like Mike said, neither of us are really big RPG fans. One of the biggest things about RPGs that turns me off is just the amount of time, like the time investment in RPGs. Typically when you hear people talking about RPGs nowadays, like there's Skyrim and Fallout, hundreds of hours dedicated to these games. Not necessarily to play the campaign, but there's lots of side quests and things like that that you can do. 
Um, so th that's one of the reasons why I don't play them is just because I don't have 50 to 100 hours uh, to play a game, to play one game. I'd rather play multiple short games. So I thought yeah. it'd be kind of fun to talk about the length of each game on the GameCube that we're going to be talking about today. Mm. Just to read out the list of games, we have Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, Lost Kingdom, Lost Kingdoms 2, Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance, Evolution Worlds, and Summoner, A Goddess Reborn. So Mike, if you had to guess which one the shortest and which one the longest is, what would you guess? I would say Baldur's Gate is probably the shortest because it comes from being the longest game because it's a, a port from PC that they had to kind of condense down. So okay. they probably got rid of almost everything. Uh, and I, I would go with uh, off the board here. I'm going to go with Summoner Goddess Reborn because um, I actually was on some Twitch streaming uh, the other day and a friend of a friend has played that game. They were When they were kind of describing it, it sounded like a really long game. So... Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So we got Baldur's Gate being the shortest and Summoner Goddess Reborn being the longest. So let's go to our first guest of the show. We have Zaffer joining us today. Zaffer, if you had to pick one of these games that we're talking about today to be the longest one and one to be the shortest, which one would you say? Well, the only one I've ever played is Crystal Chronicles. So my, my uh, fountain of knowledge is not really yeah. the greatest here. <laughs> okay. If you had to guess, though. Lost Kingdoms, perhaps? As being the shortest? Yeah. Okay. And which game is the longest? Well, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles is actually really long. Um, I'm going to take a guess at that one. So you were actually, very, you did very well. Uh, I'll give you a 50%. You got uh, Lost Kingdoms is correct with, uh, with, oh, okay. with five and a half hours. It's very short. <laughs> <laughs> and then Crystal Chronicles is close. It clocked in with the main story at about 21 hours. But the uh -huh. longest game we're going to be talking about today will be revealed at the end of the episode. So everyone stay tuned for that. So we bring Zap we brought Zaffir on today to uh, talk about Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Mm -hmm. And uh, we recently had Zaffir on for the Super Mario Sunshine episode, where his mind was blown and found out that Nick actually owned his or actually <laughs> had his copy of Super Mario Sunshine. And uh, Zaffir, how have you how have you been dealing with that uh, that uh, shocking news? You see, it was such a revelation that I completely dived myself in different games to repress the memories and now that you brought it up again i feel like i'm experiencing ptsd and i hate everything oh no <laughs> Perfect. hopefully you can hang in a little bit longer so you, you can gush about uh, final fantasy crystal chronicles a little bit on uh, on this episode uh -huh. that's a good distraction good very good so before we get into the game itself why don't we get into a little bit of nintendo and square enix's uh relationship in the 90s and 2000s mike do you think now's a good time i think now's a good time yeah let's talk okay. about it okay zaffer you're along for this ride too so you can chime in whenever you like sounds good so obviously nowadays people most know the company square enix um being the developer for games like uh, final fantasy and um kingdom hearts and things like that but those two companies were actually different companies at one point there was square and there was enix uh, they merged together in november of 2002 uh, which is the reason why we don't get any, we didn't get any Final Fantasy games on N64 or GameCube was due to a breakup between uh, Square in the 90s and Nintendo. Uh, we obviously used to get Final Fantasy games such as uh, Final Fantasy 1 through 3, and then it all of a sudden stopped on the Nintendo 64. And that was due to hardware limitations. The cartridges on the N64 couldn't hold much space compared to the Sony PlayStation, which could could hold a ton of space. And then there was the company Enix, which was is best known for the Valkyrie, sorry, yeah, Valkyrie Profile series and Star Ocean. I always actually wondered this, but like the name Final Fantasy, did that did that come from it like thinking that it was going to be the last game when they made Final Fantasy 1? 
that's that's what I've heard yeah, from the rumors right. and constant speculation. Is that confirmed? I actually don't know. Yeah, Square has been close to bankruptcy several times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of those times was in the 80s where they thought that it was going to be their last game. So Final Fantasy was supposed to be like their last, kind of like their last try at game development. And it ended up being one of the biggest games ever. Okay. And obviously now we have like 15 mainline Final Fantasy games plus all the spin-off games. Yeah. So yeah, it was supposed to be the last one. Um, <laughs> but it really ended up funny. saving them. And I'll talk about them again when they almost went bankrupt for the second time. But yeah, so it obviously led to several games in the Final Fantasy series. They were able to make games like Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana, and then Mario and the Seven Star Saga mm -hmm. on the SNES. They eventually got into development of Final Fantasy VII in the year 1994. The original plan was to make the game a 2D top-down game, similar to the games that they had already made, um, Final Fantasy 1 through 6. Mm -hmm. But in 1995, they made the decision to switch the franchise over to the 3D um, format, games like Zelda and Mario were doing. Uh, which narrowed down their choices to developing the game for the Nintendo 64, the PlayStation 1, the Sega Saturn, and Windows. And they obviously chose the Sega Saturn. Actually, for a <laughs> while, that was their number one choice. Wow. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII was almost a Sega Saturn game just because uh, of the popularity of Virtua Fighter on the Sega Saturn mm. and the amount of space that they could fit on the disc. Um, it was a neck-and-neck -neck, uh, competition between the PS1 and the Saturn. That's crazy but, uh, to think of. I know, but eventually, uh, as the year went on, PlayStation 1 just started to sell like gangbusters, so they just switched it over to PS1, where they could make this fully realized video game, Final Fantasy VII. They could do full motion video, um, which they couldn't do on the Nintendo 64 cartridge, and this really made Nintendo upset, and they completely severed their ties with, uh, with um, Square for years, mm -hmm. um, from 1995 basically until 2001, 2002. Uh, the final the final copy of Final Fantasy VII ended up shipping on three PlayStation 1 discs. The total space it took up was 1,317 megabytes at the time. Huge. To put that into perspective, the N64 cartridge could carry 64 megabytes. <laughs> <laughs> which wow. means it would have taken 21 Nintendo cartridges to hold the entire game. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's actually a really good way to put that into perspective. Just uh, how big yeah. the game was in terms of graphical fidelity and soundtrack and how long the game was. There's nothing like this on the N64, but it sold 11 million units on PS1 alone. And mm -hmm. it's been re-released several times since then on other consoles. You can download it. And now we're just getting the Final Fantasy VII remake now, which everyone are loving which is good mm -hmm. uh and even enix abandoned nintendo in that era they announced that they would try to continue to support nintendo with um the occasional title and we did get mischief makers which was fun um but they stopped making games like dragon quest and things like that on the nintendo 64 just because of the limitations that console had which the n64 really screwed nintendo up yeah. for many reasons and <laughs> they lost two developers right there uh, enix and square and then who eventually went together yeah, and which eventually combined forces. Uh, Nintendo and Square would not work together again until they developed the Game Boy Advance game. Uh, sorry, Kenshin Dragon Quest Yomo Igariachi Dentensetsu. No Ken. Zephyr, <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you know that game? Is that is he saying that right? He said Dentensetsu, and I'm like, I kind of Dentensetsu. I know that word. <laughs> that I know. Yeah, that was released on September 19th, 2003. So you're looking at about nine years since Final Fantasy III came out on the SNES. Mm -hmm. um, and then since then, uh, Square and Enix have continued to uh, support Nintendo hardware. Uh, we've got games like Kingdom Hearts, Bravely Default, Dragon Quest, and uh, the spin-off Final Fantasy games. 
which we're going to talk about right now. All IPs close to my heart. <laughs> All IPs very close to Saffir's heart. Uh, so let's uh, let's kick it off with Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, which was released on February 9th, 2004, developed and published by Square Enix. It's a GameCube exclusive, although it was re-released on PS4, Switch, iOS, and Android. It rates in the 7 and 8 range. Um, no Playboy reviews on that game, sadly. Ah, damn, it. damn it. And it prices in about the $25 uh, range. So... Anyway, let's uh, let's get Zaffer uh, Zaffer's input on the game. Zaffer, what uh, what are your th- memories of Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles? Well, the game is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like from an artistic perspective, there is a lot going on in it. The music, the graphics at the time, because the GameCube was actually quite powerful um, in comparison to the N sixty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was really it was really nice and. The art style for the game is very different from your typical Final Fantasy game because it's not like everyone is like like sort of small, but it's not like the other Final Fantasies where like you know Cloud in his game he's small but he's supposed to be big. Like <laughs> yeah. it was a, it was a unique art style that was almost more childlike. Yeah, I think they call um, it like a chibi art style, isn't that what they kind of refer to it as when the characters are yeah. all ch- tiny and they're kind of like little like stuffed animals and things like that like they just look really cutesy <laughs> yeah it, it's not it's not um exactly chibi but it's sort of like it's in that realm it was a weird mix between like re- like realistic proportions and chibi proportions so i know what you're saying yeah and i almost feel like that was to lure more people in to more a more general audience because it, it didn't give like a mature vibe no but the game was actually really mature in the end it kind of blindsided me as a kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, from an art style perspective, I really liked it. It was really gorgeous. Yeah, I was looking at the game myself before the before we started recording just to kind of see what it looked like since I haven't played this game before. And mm-hmm. looking at the way the, the, the camera angle is, the music and the graphics, it reminded it almost looked like it was running on the Pikmin engine. Like it looks like Yeah, Pikmin. it does. Yeah. It, it had oh, just wow. the way the environments look and the characters that. interact with the world. It just looked like Olimar should be running on <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good comparison. It is. Yeah, and like the it looks like you're playing in a little diorama, like a little model world. Like it doesn't look like you're actually in a real world. It just mm-hmm. looks like a Pikmin setup. I don't know why, but the game was very well praised in, at the time for its fairy tale design and, and the music. Uh, Square had to make a game. Sorry, Square Enix had to make a game that differentiated itself from Final Fantasy titles. That was part of the deal that they made when they started making games for the GameCube. Oh, okay. uh, I'll explain that in a second. But all in all, the game sold 1.3 million units, which is pretty good considering at the time uh, mid midway through the GameCube life cycle it's probably got about a 10 to 15% attach rate so maybe not quite that high about 10% attach rate i would say um, which is pretty cool and i think um, this is the 22nd uh, oh sorry this is the 20th best selling GameCube game so it's that's hmm. it's up there in the top 20 uh, wow i didn't know it's that. one of the only games that is not nintendo published uh, that is uh, that is up there so yeah Interesting. And it's the first Final Fantasy game on a Nintendo platform since Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy III in North America. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the, the Crystal Chronicles series is mostly a Nintendo series. Um, there was Ring of Fate on DS, My Life as a King on Wii, Echoes of Time on DS, Life as a Dark Lord on WiiWare, <laughs> and Crystal Bearers Wii. It sounds like, like a, a Harry Potter game. I, honestly, I did not even know that there were other Crystal Chronicles games. There there are there are like sequels and spinoffs, but to be honest, I haven't played them, so I can't give too much info. That's fine. This is this is a GameCube podcast. We're, we're, yeah. we're not we're not concerning ourselves with, with those games. <laughs> We don't, we don't, uh, we don't go into those those neighborhoods. But yeah, uh, Zafir, you mentioned that that one of the things that really captured you was the music. 
uh-huh. and I just wanted to go into that. Like I, I, I listened to the soundtrack of this before we started and I, I had uh, seen this game played uh, at friends houses before I had a friend who was really into RPGs and that was the thing that always captured me too, was the music. It was, it was really, it was really unique and it was very much unique from the final fantasy series uh, because the final fantasy seven you know, music is very iconic. Like, I, I know it very well, even though I've never played the game. I think they used a different, like, ensemble of people than what they usually do for the mainline, mm-hmm. which is probably why it differentiated so much. But it still turned out really well. Um, but yeah, so uh, just kind of take us through, I guess, what... Did you own Crystal Chronicles as a kid? Did you... Uh, or did you play this at, you know, someone's house or something? Uh, no, I owned it. I remember uh, owning it specifically. You didn't lend it to Nick. <laughs> no, Nick would not like that. <laughs> I, I know for a fact I, I owned it. And um, I don't know when or why I bought it. Like, I must have seen it because I know I had friends who had it as well. And I think maybe I saw it at their houses and I was like, whoa, this looks really cool. And I, I bought it for myself. One thing about this game that I think was a huge issue is how non linear it is. Okay, like non linearity can be really amazing. I mean, just look at Breath of the Wild, for example. Mm. But um, it's this game has a really obtuse way of progressing because the whole premise is that you're journeying out to collect resources and then you come back home for the year. And then the and then like there's an actual calendar system. So it will be like year one complete, year two starting. Mm. And every year that goes on, the world map will change and you can go through different dungeons or different uh, areas that you couldn't access before. Mm. But But the problem is... The game never explicitly tells you where to go, so you can end up repeating cycles for like, for like <laughs> endlessly, 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 and you don't really know what, what has changed, what you need to do, and that's why I actually never beat the game because I was I was just a kid who was like exploring, but with the obtuse hints that they're putting at you to, to tell you to progress. I was just a kid. I wasn't. They're like riddles, yeah. and I didn't know what to do at all. So eventually, I just was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, and. I got stuck. You said that the world map would change like year after year. You'd go back and then there'd be differences. Were those differences dependent on what you did the year prior? Like when you play the game a second time, would it be different? Like year two is not the same year two for me as it was for you kind of thing because of what I did in the opening of the game versus what you did? Or is it always the same changes? See, that's the thing. I actually, even to this day, I don't know. (laughs) That's one of the biggest things. I had no idea what influenced the changes or if there was a pattern or if it was like random. I mean, I'm sure there has to be some kind of predictability to it, but sure. Um, yeah, so just just from that perspective, it's so confusing. You're always like tumbling, fumbling, wondering, yeah. is this the right way? Am I supposed to go here? So it's very confusing. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because when I researched this game for this episode, I found a lot of people said the same thing. It was always, I love this game uh, as, a, like a, as a kid, or I remember this game really fondly, but I don't ever remember beating it. Uh, you would not uh, imagine how many people actually said that, and I and I thought that was really funny. That uh, I'm and I'm glad that you also never really beat it because of those reasons. Yeah, it they they were trying a very laid back kind of progression where it's like, oh, the player should figure it out. But it, I think it was too obtuse. It was really way too obtuse. So, did you play Final Fantasy games before Crystal Chronicles? Uh, actually, no, I didn't. As surprising as that might sound, considering I'm such a JRPG enthusiast. <laughs> um, I never owned a PlayStation console until PS3. Mm-hmm. So all of those older RPGs were like completely out of my reach. Um, 
And yeah, Crystal Chronicles was the first Final Fantasy I played. Yeah, I think that I think that the Crystal Chron- people that played Crystal Chronicles and who had actually played Final Fantasy, the mainline games before Crystal Chronicles, they're the ones who kind of panned the game for being uh, un- un- like revolutionary, unique, but they found it boring. Um, like I, th- I think a lot of GameCube uh, owners were expecting a Final Fantasy mainline game, even though this is a spinoff, and... They were just, it, it wasn't the same. And I think they wanted a game that was the same as the old Final Fantasy games. I can um, definitely understand where, where they're coming from now that I've played other Final Fantasies. Because mm-hmm. this, this one mm-hmm. is a little more bite-sized in, in terms of everything. Really. Like the gameplay, the story, the ex- exploration. It's uh, it's very minuscule in comparison to like a full grand-scale triple-A JRPG. And if I had those ex- expectations, I would definitely be disappointed. So I'm glad that like I went in blind and I didn't know anything. Uh, it made me appreciate the game a lot more, I think. So, Neil, you have the stats for all these games in terms of how long and how short they are, as we talked earlier in the episode. How long is the Crystal Chronicles main storyline? So the average time to beat Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles is 21 hours, so it's not really that no. long. Yeah, that's not long for, for a JRPG at all. Especially a Final Fantasy yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> JRPG, which, you know, they go on for a long time. Yeah, the game is different than other Final Fantasy games in many respects, one of those being the time it takes to beat it. I think that it's because Square had to make a game that was radically different from Final Fantasy games. I'll explain maybe why the game feels so different. I'll do my best. But the franchise began after the failure of the Final Fantasy movie Spirits Within. Zaffer, did you watch that movie? I've never watched it, but I've heard many <laughs> things about it and how how it uh, was a huge loss of revenue for uh, Square. <laughs> yeah, so this was one of the other times where Square was on the brink of... Yeah. Being number shut two down because of the fail- number for those uh, two. <laughs> for those playing at home, this is number round two of uh, Square. Round two, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Square needed to develop a game. They needed to develop games again for Nintendo to in order to save their uh, their company um, employees. They didn't want to let go employees. They didn't want employees to quit. So they had to find a way to make more money. And at the time, they were only developing games for Sony. Uh, which Sony and Nintendo have a horrible re- or had a horrible relationship in the '90s after the PS1 came out. Because the PS1 was supposed to be a Super Nintendo add-on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last minute, Nintendo cut the, cut ties with Sony, and uh, they didn't make it, so Sony made the PS1. That's a whole other story. Um, but anyway, Sony had 19% uh, of Square in their back pocket. They had purchased 19% of Square stocks. So um, that's why every Final Fantasy game was on PS1, PS2. All the mainline games were on nothing else. So Square had to go to Sony and ask them if they could develop games for Nintendo again. Uh, on on the Sony said that they could because the relationship was loosening a little bit. Uh, the only condition was that the sale of the GameCube games could not impact PS2 game sales. So they couldn't just make Final Fantasy games. They had to make something that was different enough that it wouldn't uh, impact people from buying Final Fantasy 9, 10, 11, and so on. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why we got uh, these chibi little uh, Crystal Chronicles games. Um, I mean, that that makes sense, right? It just You saying that, just like, I had like the, the visualizing um, a square being like the kid of two divorced parents and just yeah. like asking Sony, like the mom being like, can I go stay at Nintendo? Can I stay at Nintendo's house next and it's like yes as long as it doesn't like impact your studying or something like that or as long as you don't wear like as long as you bring all your as long as he doesn't feed you ice cream after (laughs) nine yeah and that's honestly why you never see the same two square enix games on nintendo and sony like it's always there's always spin-off kingdom hearts games they made bravely default and things like that meanwhile sony gets all the final fantasy games still and they're almost never on i don't think we've had a mainline final fantasy game on nintendo yet right 
And that's why cloud being in Smash is such a big deal as well. I, I remember I remember where I was when I saw Zaffir's reaction. <laughs> yeah, I was in the car when Cloud was announced and I was like freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fact that he's in Smash only almost makes no sense when you find out about all this. Like just yeah. it's my favorite part of video games is like who controls what and who's making it. It's honestly one of my that. favorite parts too, because it, it gives it's so interesting because it gives you an insight into why the games are the way they are. Uh, you know, Zaffir talking about why Crystal Chronicles was so different than the mainline games, you know, uh, you, you kind of answered it right there in, in a sense. It had to be. Legally, it had to be different. <laughs> I know this isn't a GameCube game, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But if you like that, you should really look into everything that surrounds Final Fantasy XIII because that is one hell of like a mind-blowing story of how everything went in development it's crazy is final fantasy 13 the lightning returns game yes no that's see okay. that's uh <laughs> it's, it's a trilogy it's a trilogy it's a trilogy oh, that's yeah. a third game. okay yeah so are you saying that square goes bankrupt once again <laughs> is it round it's, three? it's ridiculous it's ridiculous <laughs> like every every other day square is walking into the bank and they're like oh here they come again <laughs> But then they turn around and go back to their car before they go into to player bank. Actually, you know, what? I, I, I'm, I got a bite. I, I am interested. Zafir, can you give us a, an abridged version of what happened there? Okay, so they developed a brand new engine just for 13, and it, because they mismanaged the resources, it took them so much money, time, and effort, and it was just a logistical mess. Yeah. And they tried to create this insane. Like, they were so ambitious because it wasn't just 13. They tried to make this insanely large lore of three different titles. It was Final Fantasy 13, Final Fantasy um, Type 0, and Final Fantasy uh, Versus 13, which is now known as 15 because it got rebranded. Mm -hmm. And they tried to tie in three games together around the same time and make this expansive lore that would like blow the minds of everyone and it was it was way too much yeah. like they put they put too much on their plate basically it's so fascinating to read and see how they had to rebrand the games and make them different from each other when they're originally supposed to be like tied in together and you can see the remnants of how they were tied in together if you actually like read the stories in the lore because there's a lot of similarities and themes and yeah, I'll just I'll leave it at that. It's a Making a video game and the attempts to try and blow the minds of everyone is almost never a good idea. <laughs> yeah, we I, I can't I can't count how many times we've had on this podcast where we've had to bring up a game like that. Uh, we last week we talked about a game Haze. I don't know if you've ever heard of Haze Zaffer. Oh, I've seen the cover. Yeah. I, I just looked it up now. The cover art is extremely familiar. Yeah. I've seen this a lot. <laughs> and, and, and it just and it almost the exact same thing happened. They they made a proprietary graphic system that just you know was so expensive to make that they couldn't even use. Huge mess. Everyone listen to the Time Splitters podcast, episode twenty one. We talk about it a lot there. But uh, yeah, I I, I just I, I just stuff. googled Haze and I forgot to add PS three, so I just got pictures of like cities that are hard to see. <laughs> Yo, don't worry, you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's go back to Crystal Chronicles here, Zaffer. What else do you have to tell us about uh, about Crystal Chronicles? The gameplay is a uh, a big departure, and again, we were always talking about how it's supposed to be different from Final Fantasy traditionally, and the gameplay is a big one on that because it's an action RPG, but it's not like Kingdom Hearts or anything. It was it was very different. You had like three or four normal attacks, and then you had like some spells you could use. It was like I said, it's very simplistic. Mm -hmm. Like this game feels like it was meant for a more general audience because the gameplay itself isn't actually that that deep. But the timing of when you strike or when you use a spell matters so much because bosses move around like crazy. 
it's like it's like simplistic, but it's in depth in its simplicity. I guess like yeah, shovel knife, shovel knife, for example. Easy to learn, difficult to master. Yeah, basically that's a very good yeah, way okay. of putting it. And um, that's yeah. While that's while the core mechanics were really nice, the multiplayer is like one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, because who on earth would think that? Let's get people to buy Game Boy Advances and a link cable to play multiplayer on a GameCube game. I don't know what they were thinking. I still don't know what they were thinking. That was they were trying to make it work. They're trying to make the Game Boy Advance player a thing. It's which so bad. The Game, Boy, the Game Boy Advance game player was a thing where you could just play Game Boy Advance games on the GameCube. That's what people wanted. But every time they tried to shove this link cable crap down our throats, it never worked out. And this game actually came with the link cable too. So they really wanted you to play it. That's one of the reasons why I think the game sold so well is because I think people just wanted the damn link cable. That <laughs> <laughs> it probably did sell a few copies because it's like if they ran out of link cables and you needed to get the cable, you would just get buy a game of Final Fantasy and then sell Final Fantasy and keep the cable. You're, you're totally right, Zaffer. I'd say that that is the... I mean, the two main criticisms were what you said earlier in terms of it, you're not knowing really what to do most of the time. But I'd say mm-hmm. that the, the worst part of this game by far is, is the multiplayer aspect and just like the jankiness of it. Which, it's so sad. It's so sad because it, it, it it's something that I feel like if you, they would have spent more time on, uh, it could have easily been rectified. Yeah, because the thing is you can import your characters from different save files mm-hmm. into a save file. So you could have someone who was ahead of the game compared to you, and then they could play with you and help out. And that sounds amazing, right? Yeah. But then you have the, 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 the barrier of the Game Boy Advance and the link cable. And that's why... Like, I'm so excited because one day I want to play the remastered version on Switch um, where they don't have that <laughs> that issue. I haven't played it, though, so I can't speak yeah. from experience. But that was the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest drawback of the series as a whole. As a whole because one, one player compared to four players, it's an entirely different game. I'm telling you, it's an entirely sure. different experience. Oh, especially with, with like an RPG like this. It, it yeah. is because RPG, you know, uh, you know, traditionally RPGs are kind of meant for one, one player. Right. And mm-hmm. so, so it's, it's cool to see that they took the simplicity of this game. They took like kind of trying to make this for the masses almost. And then adding in a cool element of, uh, of multiplayer, the idea of it, at least, you know, that that's pretty, that's pretty advanced for this time. Yeah, because, okay, here, think about it. Because in every JRPG, you have several party members, right? And they have certain roles. Like, one's a, one's an attacker, one's a tank, one's a healer, one's a buffer, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. anything, any role, right? Now, imagine if you only had one of those for the whole game. And that that's that's Crystal Chronicles single player. Yeah. So, if you had other friends who could join in, they could be, like, the other roles. They could have different purposes. It changes the game immensely. Yeah. And then they, they lock it behind... A weird Game Boy Advance thing, and like <laughs> it, it, over ten years, I'm still salty. <laughs> uh, you know what? As you should be, Zephyr. As you should. And I'm be. just, I'm just looking up now. We've talked about how the game's been remastered on Switch. Like looking at the reviews of the game current day, like it doesn't sound like they fixed much of the problems. Like it sounds like it's mainly just for people that really love the game. Back Don't in tell the Zephyr. Day, but if, sorry, Zephyr, <laughs> if you're looking for a game that fixes the problems of the game from back in the day, it doesn't. I so think, like, I think, um, I did a little bit of research regarding that. I think what people were expecting was a remake. Oh, and mm-hmm. this is more like a re-release with actual multiplayer. It's like the same yeah. game. Yeah. People mm-hmm. like like think of it like this. It's like Final Fantasy VII on Switch, right? But it's the same game. It's just okay. There's maybe one enhancement where you can speed up the game to uh yeah to, to so it doesn't waste all of your time with animations and, and other things. Like there's right. quality of life updates, but it's the same game in the end. I'm personally I'm fine with that. Most I of am the time. too. Yeah, I think people were expecting a full-on remake, like a ground-up 
Like this is a it's brand. not it's, it, it's even called remastered <laughs> yeah, edition. So I think, it's not I think, a remake. Yeah, I think people just have like had the wrong expectations because the game itself was really good. Yeah, and this this doesn't feel like a game that needs to be remade. You know, like like Final Fantasy VII. Sure, it, it it's a narrative heavy driven story game. You know that that is that is very much enhanced by creating like this new world with this uh, updated graphics uh, basically mm-hmm. the way it was intended to be but like uh crystal chronicles doesn't need that right it's already it honestly looks fine uh if you played it and like playing it today uh crystal chronicles looks fine there's nothing wrong with it the textures look nice yeah, it's definitely serviceable i mean I, I think we need a lot of these gamecube exclusives to be not remade just remastered and put on the yeah. switch so that we can play them because like a couple other games that we're going to talk about later on in the episode you can't play them unless you have the gamecube and the disc because there's no way they haven't been remade for ps4 or sorry they haven't been remastered and ported to the ps4 or xbox you might be able to download an emulator on pc but that's that's it's fine mm-hmm. but it's not the way you want to play games really that's not the way i want to play games yeah <sighs> well is there anything you want to add zaffer before we let you go there is one thing mm-hmm. i have i have a lot to say about this game um just because of how <laughs> mystical it it's a very like okay i understand fantasy is in the name of the series but um this really pushes what fantasy means to like its limit because it is so mystical this game its narrative its atmosphere um i know i know the script in particular was written where everything felt like it was a poem almost mm. um and that added to its like it's mystique because I remember I have fond memories of exploring the world and it's little stories that it feeds you. And it felt, it really did feel like a fairy tale. The whole game feels like a fairy tale. It's so immersive in that regard. And I love the atmosphere the game pushes out because you know, you look at like six and seven are a little more modern. Seven in particular is extremely modern, yeah. but this game is pure fantasy. It is like 100% traditional fantasy. Yeah, I, I, I think I think the, the music, the art style, the gameplay, it's very cohesive, like you said. I, I know exactly what I'm looking at. You know, there's there's never a question of like, what is this kind of game? What are they going for? They're they're very obviously going for this traditional fairy tale like setting, which yeah. I think is amazing that they're able to pull it off so well. Yeah, because when you play it, it, it really feels like you're jumping into a storybook. It's, it's nice. It's, yeah. It's very wonderful. <laughs> Neil and I often say that the best games are games that you can you feel like it was made by one person, and I feel like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles achieves that. Yeah, it's very cohesive, like you said. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Zaffer, for coming on today. I know you probably have uh, three hours more of content that you can add to this podcast, <laughs> but uh, but we do have to uh, keep this, you know, relatively short. So uh, of course, of thank course. you so much for for giving some of your insights, some of your memories, and yeah, just uh, having your your presence on today. Uh huh. Thanks for having me as always. Talk to you later, Zaffer. Okay. Take care, you too. Good luck on your exam. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do have a test next week, so thank you. We know you always have. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's always one around the corner. There's always one. It's like it's like a random battle encounter. Like just Zaffer just stumbles oh, upon that's an exam. So true. Where... <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> You're just walking down the street, and then all of a sudden you go into a battle, but you just have to take an exam. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. See you later, buddy. Bye, Zaffer. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Okay, and uh, now we are going to have another guest joining us right now. We have Jake Sagan, all the way from Mississauga, Ontario, calling in. Jake, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mike and Neil. Very happy to be here. Are you going to sing a song for us? What's this? I, oh, I'm just I'm just playing you the music of my people. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> a banger. Oh, well, uh, welcome, Jake, to the podcast. Uh, thank you for being here. 
and uh, we're going to talk about some Crystal Chronicles. Uh, so I just played you that little intro song for Crystal Chronicles there, and uh, yeah, just tell me about the music uh, for this um, for this title. Like, what are, what are your thoughts of it, uh, and how does it make you feel? You know, while this wasn't really a traditional Final Fantasy in gameplay, it definitely was a Final Fantasy in terms of the style of music mm-hmm. and music quality. The soundtrack slaps. Like, I would say it's up there as one of the great Final Fantasy soundtracks, and I've played, like, almost every classic numbered Final Fantasy. It's just super memorable. I can remember, you know, the river level, uh, the goblin fort, manor level, <laughs> mushroom forest, the sluice. And I, I remember all these <laughs> levels that I played, like, decades ago because of the music. Uh, it was extremely medieval sounding, lots of flutes. Um, there was kazoos. And the whole game felt like super rustic and fantasy because of that. I actually discovered that the person who composed the soundtrack for this game also did Final Fantasy XI, which was the medieval Final Fantasy MMO. And I think that explains why I loved it so much. Sweet. It's funny how video game songs just stick in your brain. Like no matter how many years go by, people can just like you're in a video game store or you're walking down the street or for some reason video game music is playing on the street. And uh, you can just like remember exactly where you were when you played the game or the exact game that it's from. And people are like, what the hell? How do you know that? Like It's just I love that about games. It's like Luigi's Mansion, right? Like uh, Neil was talking about that earlier in uh, in the podcast, uh, how like he always hums that when he's like walking through the woods. <laughs> yeah. Neil, I, I always do the same thing. Whenever like I'm in the woods or like just walking around, <laughs> even at nighttime, I'm always humming. Yeah, that and, like song. sometimes when I'm when I'm in a good mood, it's the Diddy Kong soundtrack. <laughs> There's really a lot of things I like about this game, and like I want to like this game, right? But mm. there's just one gripe that kind of holds back the whole experience, and and that's the fact that they made a multiplayer game that like. <laughs> because of a technical choice, discourages you from playing multiplayer. <laughs> For whatever reason, they decided, no, we're not going to use the GameCube controllers. We're going to make you buy the, uh, what was it, the the GBA link cord right. and have your controller for multiplayer be uh, a Game Boy Advance. <laughs> so if you wanted to play with your buddies, you needed three of these damn things, three of the cables and three Game Boy Advances. You know, just a baffling decision that mm. kind of made it almost impossible or extremely costly especially for a kid, you know, to uh, to play the game with friends, which was the whole point of the game. Why did Nintendo always seem to, int- like, like force the Game Boy Advance player on us in this era? Like, why couldn't you just play with four GameCube controllers? What was, I, I was trying to find out why they couldn't just let us play, like, we play GoldenEye, or we play Nightfire, Mike, we did that the other day, and we didn't need Game Boy Advances to play it. We just plugged in two GameCube controllers. I don't get what the big deal was with this. Yeah, we actually had a friend of the show, Zaffir, on earlier, and uh, he was saying the same thing uh, and how frustrated he really was with the fact that that Nintendo forced you uh, to have all this, like, extra equipment to just play the multiplayer part of the game, which really was, like, the the essence of, of, uh, of Crystal Chronicles. It's, it's a whole different game, right? So there's, like, this ring of safety. Okay. So you can only move and you could fight within that ring. Um which is a really stupid gameplay decision because it makes no sense. It doesn't add anything to the game. Uh, but when you're playing single player, you had a Moogle that would fly around behind you and carry the, 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 the vase. So it wasn't the worst thing in the world. When you actually played multiplayer, you didn't get a Moogle. So one of your four buddies basically had to be the caboose of the party <laughs> and he wouldn't get to play the game. He would just carry around the vase for the whole game. So that's, that's, that's uh, your little cousin. That's who, who, that's who gets that. <laughs> 
the smallest person in your family or the person you like least, <laughs> you relegate them to that duty. Uh, that's, <laughs> I love games like that where uh, there's always that <laughs> that chair. <laughs> It's basically yeah, it's like, like double dash, you know. That's the person who throws the uh, throws the shells behind. They're not driving; they just get to throw stuff. It's and it's like in Mario Odyssey, like Nintendo made with Mario. If you have a second player that wants to play with you, it's not that they can play as Luigi or something like that. They get to be the hat. <laughs> it's like they're always bad about having that couch co-op on in a campaign. It's just always like they can be the hat, they can be the star, they can be the whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just watching gameplay again of uh, Crystal Chronicles, just watching the giant crab boss fight that Jake referenced earlier. And I just want to reiterate how beautiful this game is, like, and how, like, there's three players moving on screen. The backgrounds are all very dynamic. The the crab, it's the boss itself looks good. It doesn't glitch. No frame rate issues. Um, like, there's nice lights and, like, rings around everything. It, again, it looks like Pikmin to me. Um, maybe even a little bit nicer than Pikmin. Everything looks sharper, but... And the HUD doesn't get in your way, like it's not obnoxious, like all of the health and, and magic and whatnot. The map is there, but it's 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 all well balanced. Um, good design, for sure. There's, there's a lot of good parts about this game, but they just get lost in some of the boneheaded decisions that uh, the developer made. I really feel like if this game had been released in arcade, and you know, imagine coming out of a movie and walk going to the arcade, uh, and then you know, for you and four buddy or three other buddies could hop on an arcade machine and just play this. Yeah, because it's control wise, it's perfect for the arcade layout too, right? You need you have one movement and you need two buttons. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wouldn't perfect in that context, but uh, for the GameCube, I don't know. It just it just kind of fell flat. Now, have you heard about anything about the remastered edition on Switch? Right, I did see that they they did remaster it. Uh, I I did see that the reviews were mixed. Uh, I haven't played it myself. I can only hope that they changed. Well, I mean, definitely they must have changed the control scheme so there's no more Game Boy Advances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had to hook up your Game Boy Advance to the Switch to play. <laughs> can you imagine? But I imagine they must have done online multiplayer, right? Yep, play together online. You can play online. Okay, see, pretty cool. Now I like it. Yeah, now I like the game. It's funny, too, what Neil said with, with the graphics for the game and just how well they hold up uh, Like from 2004. Like, I was watching some gameplay and looking at the, the obviously the remastered version versus the 2004 version like it's it's not like a it's not like crazy different it just shows how good 2004 uh graphics were for the gamecube at least yeah it's a it's a great looking game it's got a great art style uh the atmosphere music is all good and the gameplay you know it can be repetitive but i think it's fun right it's it's a game that i wish got another chance and now that i know that the online multiplayer remake exists i will definitely give it another chance <laughs> mm-hmm. and now jake uh have you played other games in the final fantasy series and did yes. you did you play game final fantasy games before crystal chronicles or was this your first fray into the final fantasy world no 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 i played more of the the traditional i played uh like sort of the, the numbered final fantasies on the playstation mm-hmm. and i also played final fantasy tactics for the game boy advance which was another you know very very good game but definitely different from the formula of regular final fantasies sure right and now i guess my question would be how does or how did crystal chronicles hold up for you as a final fantasy fan when you first played it because i'm just kind of just juxtaposing this with zaffir and the crystal chronicles was the first final fantasy game that he had ever played and so it was a very different experience for him and i know 
uh, Neil and I talked about this earlier for reviews, you know, it got seven and eights when it came out. And it was a little bit mixed in terms of uh, these Final Fantasy veterans coming on. I guess really not knowing, uh, not knowing what Crystal Chronicles was going to be like. Yeah, and I think that re- that reaction from the veterans is because is due to the fact that Crystal Chronicles isn't really a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, it's it's a it's an action co op game that's like wearing the skin of Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. But in terms of gameplay and theme and story, it's really not even. It's almost like another studio that wasn't Squaresoft, just kind of licensed, like, okay, can we have the enemies with, like, a black mage? Oh, give us a Moogle, too. And then they just made a different game around that. Uh, so, you know, I, the criticism is valid. Mm-hmm. I just kind of... I don't see, even see it as a Final Fantasy game. I just kind of look at it as its own thing. Yeah. I think that's the way you have to look at it. Yeah. It actually was... It actually is a It actually is a game that's made from a spin-off studio. They're underneath the Square Enix umbrella, but Square Enix had to make another studio. They called themselves the Game Designer Studio, and they made the game. So it's actually not made by the Square Enix... It's not made by the same team that makes the Final Fantasy games and everything like that. So that's probably why you, you had that different feel to it. I didn't mm-hmm. know... Okay, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. would explain it. Yeah, and that was due... We talked about it earlier, but that was due to... Uh, Square uh, not being uh, able to make an identical Final Fantasy game on Nintendo systems because of their licensing with uh, PlayStation. Right. And Jake, did you play any of the Crystal Chronicles games after the GameCube version? Because this franchise, this series, actually appears on Wii. It came out, there was a few DS versions. Did you play any of those, or did you just play the GameCube one? Yeah, I I think maybe even Mike has seen, uh, because when I used to be roommates with Mike, I actually had... Uh, the Crystal Chronicles on Wii sitting around in a room. Oh, I, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> sitting around in a room. <laughs> just chilling. Just chilling. Because I was like, oh, you know, I have somewhat fond, somewhat fond memories of the GameCube one. So I was like, all right, I'll buy the new one. Uh, and that game is an unabashed disaster. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Like, the, the, like you can't play it. The controls, I, you know, I, I implore you guys to try to play the game because it's it's just miserable <laughs> just miserable uh so you know the crystal chronicles franchise hasn't had too much of an illustrious run on the whole <laughs> you know the original was was the best i guess yeah yeah but uh you know there's always the future i i mean with the remastered version coming out uh it, it shows that at least you know something's cooking there uh, you know there there's still some love for this game uh, clearly to, to make a remastered version and also like you know Square's relationship with Nintendo seems to change all the time like you know like I think Cloud and Smash kind of wiped the board clean really because that was something that people never thought could happen yeah I agree I'm, I'm curious to see where if anywhere this feature continues to grow mm-hmm. or this uh, this uh, series I should say continues to grow uh, because you know I'm still on board despite that I have very mixed feelings about it I would still play a new one just for just for the sake of nostalgia. Yeah, of course. I think I think now is a great time for Crystal Chronicles to come back on Nintendo consoles. Like in the last five years or so, it seems like that we've had like four Xenoblade games. We've had a whole bunch of Fire Emblem games. It just seems like to have Crystal Chronicles come back. The timing's perfect with Nintendo fans being, everyone seems to be in on the JRPG scene now. I, I think that it would do super well because we had like, what, two Xenoblade games on Switch already. One mm-hmm. of them's a remake and we already have one or two Fire Emblem games of some some extent. So might as well jump in now. Maybe they will. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Uh, I think it's time for Neil to read the back of the case for Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Okay, let's read the back of the case. But first, I think I need Victor to uh, hit us with that jingle. 
it's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Join a crystal caravan. A deadly me miasma. Here we go. <laughs> has swallowed the land, and it's up to you to hold it at bay. Many dangers lie along your journey, but you need to not you need to not face them alone. Enlist your friends in a crystal cavern and make your mark together in the crystal chronicles. That's a pretty good back of the case segment, I think. Yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty like not bad. standard RPG, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's also in French, which is nice. Mm. Well, your copy is. But yeah, I mean, the one on eBay is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. You, you, what, you're telling me you don't own Crystal Chronicles, Neil? No, I'm I have to actually... I'm the biggest JPRG fan I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm the bit. Yeah, the biggest JRPG fan on the GameCube is cool podcast, for sure. But no, I have to go on eBay for most of these games. And uh, luckily for the French listeners out there, I could try it if you want. Mm, I'd say let's... Uh, let's, let's skip that. Let's skip years. that. Let's see. <laughs> pretty soon we're going to do this whole podcast again in French. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Jake, is there anything else you want to talk about for Crystal Chronicles before we let you go? My favorite level is the manor with the big giant and the snake lady. <laughs> and if you know what I'm talking about, I respect you. All right. If you don't, like, like us, like then... And if you don't, play the game. <laughs> I still respect you, but buy the game. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on today, Jake. We really appreciate it. And, uh, Thanks, Jake. We'll see you on the Kirby Air Ride episode. Ooh. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Later, buddy. All right. Later. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. That was, mm. uh, that was great of Jake to come on and talk about his memories and his feelings towards this franchise, which was really good. Good juxtaposition to, to Zaffer. So. Yeah, someone who who kind of was, jumped into Final Fantasy for the first time with Crystal Chronicles and found themselves a bit, little bit lost, although loving it. And then someone who's a longtime Final Fantasy fan also jumping in and wasn't lost. They just they loved it from start to finish with a few minor gripes here and there with, you know, playing it with friends and things like that. So good to have two... Uh, Two insights there. That's mm -hmm. good. Uh, all right. So let's move on now to the other RPGs that we we're going to cover on the system since we still have five to go and this episode's running long. So let's uh, let's let's get through these games quick. Mike, what do you say? Yeah, let's let's do it. Yeah. And, and no, no, no disrespect to these games. No, uh, no. Some of these games are actually very good. But, uh, you know, we, we just want to kind of get through these and, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, don't have, <laughs> I don't have any other things to say. Like a Band-Aid. <laughs> like a Band-Aid, just rip it off. Starting off with Lost Kingdoms was released on May 27, 2002. Developer from Software, we know them very well. Published by Activision. This is a GameCube-only exclusive. First game rates in the 7s to 8s. If you wanted to pick it up today, you're looking at about $75 Canadian. Followed closely by Lost Kingdoms 2 was released on May 21st, 2003, one year later. Also developed by From Software, published by Activision, another GameCube exclusive. This game rated a little bit better in the 8s. Mike, if you wanted to pick up that game now, you're looking at about $260. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's got to be one of our highest uh, price games so far. Yeah, it's up there with um, with Cubivore and stuff like that. So yeah. And Pro Rally. And Pro Rally, the $600 racing game. <laughs> yeah. Fans buy it now. But anyway, the Lost Kingdoms games, they're a card-based action RPG battle in real time. So think of it like Dark Souls and Yu-Gi-Oh! put together. Yeah, and it's uh, so, again, like we said earlier in the episode, neither Neil or I have played these um, any of these games. Uh, but watching it, I definitely did get some early... Uh, from software vibes, uh, especially Demon Souls. This game, the 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 graphics and the HUD and everything, mm -hmm. very Demon Souls esque. And 
it it looks like a a, a good game uh I, and I'm, I'm talking about lost kingdoms the first one by the way right now um the first one looks it looks like a, a decent game uh, i definitely see the Yu-Gi-Oh aspect of it mm-hmm. uh, with the cards and uh yep it's yeah it's definitely of a time as well yeah how far when was demon souls was that 2006 2007 2009 doesn't oh wow okay 2009 so this was six years before they switched over to make really hard games but yeah <laughs> i i uh yeah i agree like this game looks amazing like for if i was into this type of you know card battling rpg game which i'm not i would i would still probably recommend this game to those types of you know fans of ga- those games because the card designs they look great like i was looking at the the cards that you actually play and the the um the art and illustration looks beautiful uh the music is also very good like i was think i was listening to the uh soundtrack on youtube while i was writing notes for this episode and it reminded me of like snes era rpgs yeah it does for sure that kind of like chrono trigger and stuff like that like that old school square and enix games like it was really good like orchestrated music i loved it mm-hmm. and i loved that the fact that it's such a highly reviewed rpg series they we only got the two games but then and it's a gamecube only it's it hasn't been i don't believe it's been re-released on anything i'm sure you can play p play um comp- pc ports and things like that but you would think that playstation uh especially with final fantasy being being um solely on 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 playstation at the beginning there uh you think that this would be a playstation game but it's not yeah, well, GameCube got it as an exclusive, and I think that might have been why it was because GameCube or Nintendo knew that they had to get back that RPG. Um, they had to get back those RPGs on their console since they didn't have them on N64 almost at all. Like, there's maybe two or three RPGs on the N64, and they had to start getting back some of these franchises that they had lost, mm-hmm. uh, like Final Fantasy. <laughs> Thank you. So, <laughs> Lost Kingdoms was one of those games, and uh, it's like it looks fantastic. Just looking at the box art right now, like I love the look. It's got it's got a skeleton. It's got a uh, it's got a dragon on there. Lost Kingdoms two box box art not as good. Not nearly as good. No, quite a bit <laughs> worse actually. <laughs> quite a decline. But they had they. I mean, they rushed that game or not rushed it, but it was a quick turnaround. It was less than one year. Between the I two mean, games, so. and that seems to be, uh, you know, we've seen that so many times throughout this uh, podcast of mm-hmm. of developers rush, like putting a game out, you know, basically exactly a year later mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to annualize some of these franchises. I guess Lost Kingdoms 2 didn't sell super well. That's why it's so expensive. And there aren't too many copies on eBay either. And I never see, I see Lost Kingdoms from time to time in video game stores, but I never see Lost Kingdoms 2. So that's probably a very difficult game to find. And also the fact that, yeah, there's no Lost Kingdoms 3. That kind of tells mm-hmm. you how Lost Kingdoms 2 did. So one way to explain the development of the games and maybe how they pumped them out so quickly is it, it sounds like that these two games were developed at the same time and they just split them in half. Like, <laughs> like Well, it's true. I mean, yeah. looking at the time it takes to beat the main story, not including side quests, it's basically the amount of time it takes to beat an average video game. So I think that what they did was they developed this game all at once and split it in two. Lost Kingdoms only takes five and a half hours to beat, which is not a typically the typical length for an rpg which i'm guessing turned away a lot of rpg fans where mm-hmm. playing for dozens and dozens of hours is part of the part of the appeal of that for, of that genre mm-hmm. and then lost kingdoms 2 is slightly longer at nine and a half hours long to beat the main story so a combined time to play the two games of 16 hours is still less than a regular rpg time yeah like both those times are, are really short for for an rpg mm-hmm. yeah so that's just one theory on why they turned them around so quickly and why the franchise maybe didn't last was because they had all the elements of a good RPG game. They had the card battle system. Music was good, but it's just they couldn't make it a long game that people wanted to go back and play for hours on end. Yeah, yeah, very fair. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't, I, why don't I read the back of Lost Kingdoms and Lost Kingdoms 2 and we can move on to the next game on our list. 
Sounds good. Okay, Lost Kingdoms. Embark on a quest to save a kingdom. Shouldn't it be kingdoms? All right. <laughs> is it multiple kingdoms or one kingdom? Now Only I'm... one kingdom is lost, but there's also multiple. Okay. When a mysterious phenomenon threatens the five king, There you go. Five kingdoms of Arguil. All hopes lie in the hands of one person, Princess Katia. With the help of her guardian creatures, she must travel to the continent. Travel the continent to discover and destroy the root of the evil force. Hmm. And then what happens after? Well, what happens after in Lost Kingdoms 2... When a new evil emerges, so too must a new heroine. With the kingdom of Arguil, I'm definitely saying that wrong. <laughs> on the brink of destruction, a new heroine with mysterious with a mysterious past emerges. Armed with the ma- power of a magical runestone, she alone must summon guardian creatures to battle the evading evil force and uncover its terrible origins. Lost Kingdoms 2. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Graphically, the Lost Kingdoms 2 looks great. It does. It looks really good. It looks a lot they both better. look good. Uh, yeah. They 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 did uh, a good job for sure. Yeah. Graphics, music, and gameplay was not an issue with this franchise. I don't know. I guess the story wasn't great enough, but too bad that it didn't live on. Anyway, let's move on to the next game on our list, which <laughs> is Baldur's Gate: Dark Alliance. Was released on November eighteenth, two thousand two. This game was developed by Snowblind Studios, published by Black Isle Studios. The game is also on PS two, Xbox, and Game Boy Advance. Rates in the sevens, if you wanted to pick it up today, you're looking at about 50 bucks. Yeah, so Baldur's Gate actually has a pretty interesting, uh, I guess, backstory and history. Uh, because Baldur's Gate essentially is a D&D kind of Diablo uh, clone. That's I said like the exact the... same thing in my notes. It's ba- oh, it looks really? Like, it looks like Diablo. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, it's that's, that's basically what it is. Um, and so Baldur's Gate, I think we mentioned this earlier on the episode, but um, Baldur's Gate was originally for the PC mm-hmm. and um, what it basically was, was this like massive omnibus of everything Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. And it was, it was like, like the ultimate fan service for any D and D fan okay. uh, when it came out. And, um, uh, and for PC, when you bought this thing, it was six discs. Jeez. It was absolutely huge. That's wild. So uh, it's, it's pretty wild to have that. Uh, but I think it's kind of cool like that, that a collection like this almost was released at this time in 2001. That's a huge undertaking, meaning the game would have had to be absolutely like just massive. Yeah, and it, obviously they couldn't fit a six-disc six PC game onto the GameCube. They just couldn't handle it. They well, must, the, the discs were too small. Oh, yeah, far too – little mini discs. There's no way. Some of the GameCube games were double-disc, like uh, Resident Evil 4. Um, some of the Lord of the Ring games as well were double-discs. So they did do that, but they never broke more than two discs, I don't think, with any games. No. Yeah, but this is like a hack-and-slash RPG. So, yeah, think Diablo and things like that. And this is in the era where a lot of games were still being very heavily influenced by D&D. Like a lot of game developers before there were video games, like these game developers didn't grow up with Mario or anything like that yet. They grew up with D&D. So that's why games like this was made, were made, like the fantasy games, even games like Doom and things like that were, were influenced heavily by D&D because those developers in the 90s and early 2000s, that's what they had. They had card and dice uh, yeah. board games. I did a little bit of research though on Snowblind Studios since this is the first time I've seen this developer name and I wanted to see if they had any sort of history or if they've popped up anywhere else since uh, this game. So Snowblind was a developer out of Kirkland, Washington. They were founded in 1997. Uh, Their logo is a penguin, which caught my eye. Um, (laughs) Thought that was kind of cool. Love penguins. They didn't develop too much. So unfortunately, they didn't have any sort of history. But they were bought by Warner Brothers Interactive in 2009 to make RPGs. They ended up making a Lord of the Rings game for Xbox called Lord of the Rings War in the North. 
which hmm. was uh, also apparently not great. <laughs> Uh, they were later on merged with Monolith Productions in 2012. Um, Monolith is also owned by WB, and uh, they make games mostly for Windows and Microsoft now. But So that is pretty much all I have for Baldur's Gate. <laughs> um, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, which is the GameCube game, that is in uh, one of her favorite books, A Thousand One Video Games You Must uh, Play Before You Die. Ooh. And so I'd like to read a little excerpt from that book. Okay, please do. When the original titles appeared on the PC, the Baldur's Gate games lasted for hundreds of hours, spanned an entire continent and occasional extra dimension, and uh, contained almost the entire advanced Dungeons and Dragons rule set. And they arrived on six discs, more if you count the side quests and stories, including expansions. That is until the creators of Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance had a brainwave. They took the world and setting of the previous games and worked them into a Diablo clone, replacing them, uh, replacing the labyrinth plotting and densely woven narrative with a cutback, combat-driven action RPG. Instead of a party of characters, you now control just one, picked from a choice of three at the, at the start of the game. Instead of their abilities growing and developing, according to the D&D rules, players could use experience points to tailor their characters however they saw fit. The final crucial ingredient retained from the PC version was the fan service. D&D fans would have been uh, delighted by the possibility of coming up against uh, gelatinous cubes, kobolds, dragons, lizardmen, and best of all, the possibility of unlocking the legendary dark elf warrior Drizzt Doerned. As a playable character. <laughs> it's not easy to, to say these names, is it, Mike? <laughs> not easy, but, you know, I'm a big Drizzt fan. I don't know about you, Neil. Uh, his third album is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Drizzt. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, before we let Baldur's Gate go, should I read the back of the case now? I think you should. Okay. Live the fantasy. Immerse yourself in the fast-paced, dynamic world of Baldur's Gate, TM, Dark Alliance, TM. In the epic action RPG, play one of three unique characters as you explore visually stunning environments like bone-chilling ice caverns, marshy swamplands, and foreign tombs. Forlorn tombs, sorry. Battle immense frost giants, brutal dragons, and hordes of other Dungeons & Dragons are creatures. Use your wits, battle fiercely, and emerge victorious. Mike, you guessed that Baldur's Gate would be the shortest game on our list of RPGs today. You were wrong. Lost Kingdom 1 was obviously the shortest game at five and a half hours. Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance clocked in at about 12 and a half hours. Okay, yeah. I, and that's pretty good Like to, to bring it down from six discs to 12 and a half hours. Yeah, imagine having to pop in another disc to want to play like a side quest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How irritating that must have been. It's such a different, different time, right? Way different different time. time. But yeah, it, it's pretty cool to... Like, I gotta give Baldur's Gate credit to, like, have all the D&D licensing and stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's, if I was a big D&D nerd, like, I like D&D, it's cool. Like, I, I, yeah. I'm not gonna knock D&D ever. But, like, if I was, like, really into D&D, like, friend of the show, Dan, mm -hmm. uh, like, Baldur's Gate would be really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, we were kids in the 2000s, but I don't remember a single soul mentioning D&D to me up until only a few years ago when D&D came back because of, like, Stranger Things and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, D&D was, I think... I could be wrong, but I think the D&D community was really dying in the 2000s. I could be, again, completely wrong. I know nothing about that community. Never played D&D. <laughs> you said you don't want to knock d and I'll knock D&D all night if I have to. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the next game on our RPG list. We have Evolution Worlds was released on December 2nd, 2002, getting into that holiday danger zone we like to talk about. <laughs> Developed by Sting Entertainment, obviously Sting from the police. He made video games as well. 
obviously. <laughs> obviously. Published by Ubisoft. This was another GameCube exclusive. This game rates in the sixes and sevens, so it's not great. And it prices at about 30 bucks today. That uh, cover art is is like the most anime thing I've ever seen in my life. It's the most anime, North Americanized anime thing. Like this, yes. you, you, you would, this is like cashing in on the Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon, Beyblade, Metabots of the 2000s. It just <laughs> looks like that eighth tier anime that just, why? I, I yeah, I, I, I would almost like classify this in like the clone, you know, category almost. in that sense. Yeah, I think we almost uh, did. E- even that, even that like, um, Oh man, like the evolution font. That's so early two thousands with that E on the is side it, there. Is it the Beyblade font? I think it might I be the Beyblade. And they, even, <laughs> they, even, they even gave the main character the same goggles that Ty from Digimon had. Like yeah. His hair. It's like they took every ass, even like he's dressed a little bit like Goku. Like it's it's taking a little bit of everything. He's got like a metabot arm coming out of his back. Like they're taking a little bit of everything, literally. Yeah. And I was watching gameplay of this game and it looks like an N sixty a very good N sixty four game. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. look great. It looks fine. Like, the voice acting is... It sounds like everything was done in one take. Like, it doesn't sound great. Like, it, it's all just annoying that, I guess, for kids... It's a, probably a great kids game and everything like that. And the cutscenes aren't great. Like, it's all cut awkwardly. Like, some scenes are just a little bit too long and things like that. So, so um, this game uh, is actually a combination of two games. So it's the combination of Evolution, the world of Sacred Device, along with Evolution 2, Far Off Promise. Um, and those games were actually originally re- released on the Dreamcast. And so this was a Dreamcast game. So this this game, we could have talked about this game also on the Clones episode, or we should have talked about it on the Dreamcast episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely could have gone on the Dreamcast episode um, for sure. And like we said before, we missed a lot of games that, that were Dreamcast ports. Yeah, that's true. We could have talked about the Dreamcast for a long, long time. And j- yeah, now that I'm looking at it, it does look like a Dreamcast game. Yeah. 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 Very colorful, very bright. Looks like a Sonic game. Like those very fluorescent uh, charcoal blues and everything. So this is basically like a deluxe version, just like kind of, you know, we we you do like to compare the Wii U to the Dreamcast. And, and it is very much in like that sense <laughs> mm-hmm. how this is like Evolution Deluxe because it has like the two games kind of combined just like uh, a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the uh, Wii U games that went on to the Switch kind of ha- had an upgraded uh, deluxe version. Yeah, it's not a set. It looks like, again, it looks like a Sega game. Like, it's weird. Uh, it's too bad they couldn't have done the Evolution World DX. Like, that would have been kind of cool. Kind of making mm-hmm. it along the same lines as what Sonic did with Sonic Adventures and everything. Yeah, weird that this isn't Sega. Good point, actually, Neil. Uh, mm-hmm. Because this is, yeah, this is Ubisoft uh, in North America. And, um, yeah, uh, Sega not really having anything to do with it, uh, weirdly. It does look like a Sega game, though. Looks like a Sega game was exclusive for the Dreamcast, uh, went to GameCube, and exclusive for that. Like that's those are all the the ingredients for for a, a Sega stew. Yeah, and also the other ingredient is Sting, obviously great bassist, great <laughs> singer, and uh, loves himself the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. I could see I could see Sting posing with the Dreamcast, you know, having a <laughs> shot with it, and the rest of the police not there. <laughs> Uh, well, funny enough, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll leave it for another episode. I, oh. I, I have a, I have a, a police-related fact about uh, video games and uh, and their kind of rule in them. So okay, that's very exciting. Can't wait for that to pop its head up again. Evolution Worlds clocks in at about twenty-four and a half hours, so it, it is a fairly beefy RPG compared to the other ones that we've talked about so far. This would be, uh, I'm not going to spoil it yet, but it is definitely one of the longer games that we've uh, we've talked about thus far. So that that's more of a complete RPG length. 25 hours especially back then in the 2000s when on gamecube most games were 6 to 12 hours long 
Yeah, yeah, complete, definitely, definitely a longer game. But funny enough, this is probably reviewed the worst of the games that we've talked about so far. Mm -hmm. Yep, sometimes you don't need to make a game longer to make a game good. That's right. I say that often. (laughs) All right, let me read the back of this case so we can uh, put Evolution Worlds to bed. Role-playing beyond imagination, deep within the ruins of Evolutia, an ancient technology waits to be uncovered. Two heroes set out to find this power, only to fall into an epic struggle with the army of the Eighth Empire. Evolution Worlds, and brace your- enter Evolution Worlds, and brace yourself for an adventure beyond imagination. Hmm. I like how everyone in this game, they have like, you know, the, the classic, or not classic, they have like kind of fantasy weapons and things like that. And there's one dude that just has a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing at that. It's kind yeah, of like... there's some there's some fun characters uh, in here. I'm uh, going to talk about, so there's Mag Launcher, um, who, and then there's Linear Cannon. Uh, th- these okay. are characters also, like they're, these are names, just uh... <laughs> not weapons. Yep, yeah, these, are, these, these are the names that the parents gave them. Mag Launcher, Linear Cannon. Greenade, which is my favorite of all of them. Green, sound like, like cards. <laughs> Pepperbox, Chain Gun, Eugene. Eugene. <laughs> Thank you, Eugene. You know, all, all of these guys are weapons except Eugene. Except Eugene. Eugene is just, he's just here for fun. He's here for morale. <laughs> he's here for morale. All right, let's move on to the last game for this RPG episode. We have Summoner, a Goddess Reborn. Mm-hmm which was released on January 31st, 2003, developed by Volition, published by THQ. It's also on PS2. Rates in the eights. This all rhymes. I love it. Priced at 50 bucks. Yeah, so... It's... This is basically a re-release of Summoner 2 on PS2. Yes, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's just... Um, uh, it's often regarded as the best way to play Summoner 2. Uh, and Volition, who is also like a relatively known developer, uh, you know, they I, I think they're most uh, famous for Saints Row. Uh, okay. and red faction uh, yeah so they're still they're still kicking them yeah so like they're they they're um actually i think uh funny enough i think deep silver owns them now uh oh, okay. and we talked about deep silver in last episode about how they bought uh free radical design that's right yeah this game looks great on the gamecube graphically and everything like it kind of reminded me of god of war which is a game on the playstation that i love uh not so much with the combat but just more of like I don't know, the graphical style and the enemy design and everything like that. Um, the combat is a little bit more technical in this game as opposed to God of War where you're just button mashing and uh, jumping around. Yeah. And also a fairly long game, uh, much longer than God of War games, which are typically around like 10 to 15 hours. Summoner, a goddess reborn, clocks in at about 23 hours. Hmm. Yeah, so that makes Evolution Worlds the longest game on our list of games today, Mike. Unfortunately, you were close with Summoner, go- uh, Summoner... Oh, no, Nope, you were wrong. Uh, yeah, Summoner <laughs> Goddess Reborn is not the longest. Evolution Worlds would be the longest game that we talked about today. Now, Summoner Summoner has a decent uh, cover and art style, uh, like for their 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 boxes. It's it's not bad. Uh, Summoner One though, that's an awesome box. I, I encourage anyone to check that one out. It looks really cool. It looks like Summoner Skull is coming at you, and you're kind of there with the sword waiting for him. Oh yeah, and that's a PS2 launch game. I believe. It is, yeah. Yeah, launch launch that is a the PS2. beautiful box art. I love yeah, that. Right. So so nice art like nice art style for sure on uh, on that one. Um, it looks a little bit more easier for for someone like me to pick up and play. There's no card battle or anything like that. The experience points look fairly easy to um, to figure out. So. I think we've also talked about Yu-Gi-Oh! the most out of any episode that we've, <laughs> we could reference Yu-Gi-Oh! in almost every single game we talked about. Summon Skull. Good, good card. card. Good card. Should I read the back of the case here and we can... Uh, I think it's time. It's, it's time. <laughs> Fulfill your destiny. You, queen of... Oh, crap. Halasar. 
what are, are to fulfill that's that's that should be the that should be the new one is neil reads places place names in oh, rpg games I mean, it's just as bad as athletes you queen of halasar are to fulfill your destiny and become the goddess lahara reborn with the armies of wrath and the power of king galder fighting to stop this prophecy you must lead your party to the far flying corners of the world and beyond Okay, there's too many fake names in that summary. <laughs> I don't know what's going well, on. Well, we got Halasar. We got it's a province in the Empire of Galder, oh, God, you... distant from the kingdoms of Mediva and Arania, a... <laughs> uh, uh, birthplace of Lahara. Of course, how stupid of me. <laughs> All right, Mike. So if you had to pick one of these six games to recommend to uh, the listeners out there, which one would you pick? I think it's an obvious choice. Uh, it, definitely Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. This game is probably one of those very rare games where it was clearly an offshoot mm-hmm. uh, that kind of uh, Square put the Final Fantasy brand on. Uh, and it actually ended up being very successful and a very well-developed and done game. And so I think anyone who's a fan of RPGs uh, should definitely pick up Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. And I, I think a lot of GameCube collectors should also pick this game up. I think it's a, a must-have and... Uh, also, it's one of the best-selling games for the GameCube. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we talked about the game at nauseum when uh, with with Jake and Zaffer, all the sales and and everything about the game. We gushed about it for a while. So, yeah, for a GameCube collector, I think Crystal Chronicles is in mo- on most GameCube collectors' shelf. If I were to pick a game up for myself, though, I'd, I'd probably actually go with Lost Kingdoms. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, just because it felt a little bit more of an accessible game in terms of the time that it takes to beat. The games like I love short RPGs. Like I loved uh, the South Park RPGs on PlayStation Three and Four because they're they're quick. They're in a world that I know and understand and love already. So if I had to jump into an RPG, I want it to be especially if it's a fantasy RPG. I want it to be as short as possible. So if I can play both games in under fifteen hours, that sounds like something I can definitely get into. Like I said, you know the music sounded fun. The cards looked interesting and things like that. It was like Yu-Gi-Oh and Dark Souls combined, which is our two things. Yeah, from software, yeah. you know, having that there, you know, it's a good developer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm not a huge Dark Souls fan, but I'm a huge Yu-Gi-Oh fan, or I was at least, so <laughs> I can uh, balance out the two and play Lost Kingdoms. So I'd probably go with one of those two games. I guess Lost Kingdoms 2. I'd have to go Lost Kingdoms 1 because it was way cheaper. Very good. <laughs> All right. So that just about closes out the RPG episode, episode 22 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. Mike, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect on episode 23? On episode 23, it's going to be a spooktacular oh. event. It's going to be the episode 23 Resident Evil Resident games. Resident Evil. So we're starting off our little Halloween uh, weeks here. We're doing Resident Evil next week, Scooby-Doo, oh. the week mm-hmm. after. So get ready for that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very exciting to uh, kind of get our Halloween on. And for the Resident Evil episode, uh, a disclaimer, we are not covering Resident Evil 4. That will be its own episode because that game is huge. Mm-hmm. And deserves uh, an, an entire hour and a half to talk yep. about it. So for this one, we will be covering Resident Evil, Resident Evil 0, Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3, Nemesis, and Resident Evil Code Veronica. So those will be the games that we will be covering on that. And we'll have some friends of the show as well to stop by and uh, give us their thoughts. Cool. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, definitely a huge franchise in the 90s, On mainly starting on PS1. It showed its face a little bit on N64, but yeah, during the PS2 and GameCube era, it seemed like that there was a Resident Evil game coming out every week. And I'm looking <laughs> it de- forward to- It definitely seems like it on looking at these dates, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I'm sure it was definitely flooded. But uh, yeah, and then uh, having an entire episode dedicated to Resident Evil 4 just makes a ton of sense. So I'm really looking forward to talking about um, the first- what, nine Resident Evil games on the console at least? All in one episode? So that'll be fun. 
Well, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great week, and uh, stay safe. Take care. See you later. Bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.